Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Out in a fishing boat, empty and exhausted, Peter discovered the wonder of God's second chance. One day Jesus used his boat as a platform. The crowd on the beach was so great that Jesus needed a buffer, so he preached from Peter's boat. Then he told Peter to take him fishing. The apostle-to-be had no interest. He was tired. He had fished all night. He was discouraged. He had caught nothing. He was dubious. What did Jesus know about catching fish? Peter was self-conscious. People packed the beach. Who wants to fail in public? But Jesus insisted, and Peter relented. At your word, I will let down the net. This was a moment of truth for Peter. He was saying, I will try again your way. When he did, the catch of fish was so great that the boat nearly sank. Sometimes we just need to try again with Christ in the boat. In the Archbishop's Corner is the best place to get the encouragement to try again. And Archbishop Blair is the best person to provide that encouragement based on faith, rooted and grounded in the words of Jesus, let's go fishing. Failures are fatal only if we fail to learn from them. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you? Fine, thank you. Well, today's Father's Day. You and I are fathers of a different sort, but do you have any special message for those dads that are listening today? Yeah, happy Father's Day and hang in there. It's not easy being a dad today in many respects. And uh, tell you the truth, it's not even easy being a man today uh, in many respects in the world in which we live. But uh, I think for all of the, those uh, who are men, I think that the, the challenge to uh, uh, faith and to responsibility in life and to virtue has to be done, uh, can only be found uh, in a way that's uh, manly. Uh, and, 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 and so I hope that all of us can strive to do that every day. Today we observe the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. The central mystery of Christian faith in life is the mystery of the Trinity. Can you talk a little bit about the mystery of the Trinity and what it is and what, maybe why it's a mystery? Well, it's interesting that you put it that way, what it is, you know, what it is. Uh, and, I, and, of course, that's a perfectly legitimate way of asking the question because you're referring to the mystery. But the reality is uh, infinitely personal, you know, the pers personal God, that God is not um, an it or, or a force or something, but this uh, profoundly loving uh, mystery, where the love is so intense uh, because it is beyond our understanding, but it, it means that the love is within God himself. You know, for us to love, there has to be an I and a thou. Mm. Well, but the I and the thou in, in the Trinity is so intense between the Father and the Son as sealed with the Holy Spirit that it becomes a unity that is one God, it's not three gods, and yet that, that interrelational aspect is, is there. I know that sounds pretty complex and it's something to, to think about, but ultimately I guess what I'm saying is that God is love within 
His very self, God is love. So the mystery of the Trinity can rightfully be described as the mystery of God's love. Absolutely, yes. We'll talk more about this when we come to our gospel, but let us look at what's coming up this week. And on Tuesday, it's called National Splurge Day. It's a day that we can all treat ourselves to something special. On this holiday, we're all encouraged to take time away from the stress of life and spend time and money on something we enjoy, or better yet, splurge on someone else to bring a smile to their face. Let me ask you, Archbishop, is there anything that you would like to splurge on this Tuesday? Well, I haven't really thought about it, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, No, I can't say that I have anything in mind. How about a puppy? No, no, I always ask you that question. I'm not going to push that this time. Thursday of this week is World Productivity Day, which encourages us to declutter our lives and focus on efficiency. In order to avoid creating unnecessary stress for ourselves, we're reminded not to multitask or procrastinate. Only then can we truly be more productive. And Thursday is also Recess at Work Day. So it's a day to give your team some time for a break so that they can be more productive. What do you think is is the key to productivity, Archbishop? Well, I think the church has a beautiful teaching, social teaching, on the meaning and value of work. And, uh, you know, I think uh, even our... uh, meditation on the Sabbath, you know, on, the, on, the, on Sunday as a day of rest, not, uh, does not demean work, but in a, in a way uh, it actually ennobles work by, by uh, approaching it that way. I think that, uh, you know, the elements the, of doing something productive uh, is, 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 uh, is a good thing, a very good thing. You know, God uh, saw all that he had made and saw that it was good. So, in a certain sense, we cooperate with God when we uh, when we work. Uh, it's part of the human condition. It's part of life. But it also has to be balanced out, as so many things in life have to be balanced by other things. So, work also has to be balanced out with rest, and work has to be uh, uh, for things in this world has to be balanced out with uh, the worship that is due to God and uh, and the world of the spirit. And work is about for ourselves, but also it has to be for the sake of our families and for the good of the world. So there's all these things that are at play uh, when it comes to a balanced understanding of, uh, of work. So World Productivity Day and Recess at Work Day are good to go hand in hand because while we are certainly encouraged to, to work, we are also encouraged to take a time out to recoup and relax and to worship our God so that we can rejuvenate that source of energy that we all need to give the best that we have, the best that we are, to the work that we do. Yes, I think we're being so impoverished by the abandonment of Sunday as a day of rest in our culture. Honestly, I I think that this constant uh, frantic uh, running around without regard for uh, the spiritual and the, the the life of the soul and the importance of relationships and family and leisure, you know, in the best sense, these these are not, uh, this is not healthy for us at all. I agree. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, to study the, the beauty of the Sabbath uh, from the Old Testament, uh, uh, you know, uh, which, which says profound things about a relationship to one another and our relationship to God. And yet, you know, I don't need to sound like an old curmudgeon, but, you know, it's died a thousand deaths today in our culture. 
Sunday is a day for God uh, is long forgotten by m many, many people. Uh, not all, thank God, but by, by a growing number of people. So let's hope that we can, um, maybe that people will be reawakened to the importance of this. And Sunday as a day for God doesn't mean that you have to spend the entire day at church. But, you know, taking time out to worship God, taking time out to be with family and friends, to celebrate the, 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 the special people that exist in life, that's becoming um, rarer and rarer in our fast-paced society in which we live to the extent that people are throwing up their hands and saying, stop the world, it's going too fast. Indeed. And talking about going too fast, summer is considered the most loved season, and it starts this coming Friday, the summer solstice, the longest day of daylight in the northern hemisphere. Oh, uh, we're already at that point. See? See that? What do, you, what do you most enjoy about summer, Archbishop? The weather. <laughs> Any activity that you like to do? Well, just things that you can do in the summer, nothing particularly. Go to the beach? No, I don't like to be in the hot sun. Fishing? Years ago. Years ago. Taking a walk? Oh, yes, always. Hmm. Good things to do during the summer. Uh, and maybe if you had a dog, the dog would take you for a walk more often. No, no, Are you I, bringing up I, that I dog no, thing again? I, I know. <laughs> I won't go there. Anyway, let's take now a look at happiness in life. This is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that's drawn some, from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you to comment, Archbishop. This is taken from the Angelus, delivered on November 13th of 2016, and is called, You Are in His Hands. Pope Francis says, We must firmly believe that the Lord does not abandon us. We need to walk in hope and work to build a better world, despite any difficulties and troubles that mark our personal and collective lives. This is how the Christian community is called to encounter the day of the Lord. In the gospel, Jesus urges us to affix this belief in our minds and hearts to be certain that God guides our history and that he knows how everything will end. Under the Lord's merciful gaze, history unfurls and weaves between good and evil. All that happens is contained within him. Our lives are in his hands. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, yes, uh, <clears throat> you know, we are uh, in the world, but not of the world. Uh, in Scripture, the world can mean two different things. It can mean the world of opposition to God, the world that militates against God. I guess you could kind of say it. that world culminates in the vision of the apocalypse, you know, that to make war on God and God's uh, people. Uh, in another sense, uh, you know, as Jesus says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that uh, God does not despise what he has made, least of all his human creature made in his image and likeness. But uh, that is uh, the world as it, it, it is called to be redeemed, called to holiness, called to what is good. And so we uh, who are Christians, uh, we encounter both of those meanings of the world uh, in our life and, and in what we do. And uh, so we're always bearing witness to uh, to the fact that God loved the world so much he sent his son, but also realizing that, as Jesus uh, said to the, the apostles, if the world hates, hated me, it will also hate you. There's that aspect of it, too. So we're, we're always living uh, in that uh, tension. When the Pope says our lives are in his hands, what, what does he mean by that? Well, I think he means that, uh, you know, whatever happens to us ultimately rests in God. God is... Uh, 
our protector, our 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 origin and our end. That nothing nothing can snatch us out of God's hands, except our own uh, decision to uh, leave there. Well, we've got several questions that our uh, listeners have submitted, but let's take a look at our gospel reading before we get to those questions. On this, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, or better yet, known as Trinity Sunday, the 16th day of June, our Gospel reading is taken from the 16th chapter of John's Gospel. And after this dramatic presentation, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts and what this Gospel means. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Archbishop, your thoughts on this gospel and how it relates to the Most Holy Trinity. Well, again, this is from the Gospel of John, and is this kind of um, discourse of our Lord that ranges uh, deeply uh, into the mystery of his coming into the world and his relationship to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. It's the basis for, um, together with other teachings of Christ as well, but it's the basis for understanding of the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And um, what is important here is that Jesus says that the spirit of truth will lead us into all the truth. You know, today people don't believe there's any such thing as truth. You have your truth and I have mine. There are no absolute truths. But Jesus is an absolute truth in his very person. And the Holy Spirit, he says, will guide us into all the truth. So we have to be, uh, I mean, that's very countercultural to say that today. Uh, but it's the reality that Christ has taught us and that we live by. And um, it also means that despite all of the human weaknesses and sins and betrayals uh, that can happen in the church because of its members, that the church as such and what it believes and teaches on uh, the truths of faith is guided by the Holy Spirit to teach truly uh, what comes from God about these things. Even though we don't always live them, sometimes we live them, well, we usually live them imperfectly. Sometimes we even be, individuals can betray them by their life, but the church as a whole cannot be betray them because they're guided by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that, that that portion says the Spirit of Truth will guide you to all truth. It doesn't say the Spirit of Truth will force you to all truth. Um, because, for instance, one who receives the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of confirmation, that reception of the Holy Spirit will not preserve one from falling into error like moral error, for instance, abortion or euthanasia, as we've spoken of before, or theological error, such as predestination, or believing that there is no such thing as the devil. So the Holy Spirit needs our cooperation to function in our lives, correct? Would you well, put it that God way, is, saying our cooperation? God is love, and so God, love cannot be coerced, and we, are, we do have the gift of freedom uh, because we were made to love, and you can't love without freedom. But freedom has the risk of uh, spurning love or rejecting the truth. And so the Holy Spirit is there to guide and inspire. But we, and we're given graces, but we have the freedom to reject them. 
Our scripture also indicates that the Spirit will declare to you the things that are coming. What does that infer? Well, I think it means that through the history of the church, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks in, in uh, you know, the world is very different now than it was at the time of Christ as far as all that's happened in history. And so it's not a static truth. It's not a static, um, un- unchanging reality. But rather, uh, in, in every circumstance with the passing of time, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is there to guide uh, the church and to speak to the church. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Alex from Suffield says, Although I know that some Christians go through times where they struggle to believe that God really loves them, I feel terrible that it is happening to me. My life is in such turmoil lately, and it's becoming a struggle to think God is there for me at all. Do you have any words of advice for a believer struggling in this way? Well, Alex, I think um, even the great saints many times have gone through, you know, the so-called dark night of the soul, the people who have felt uh, abandoned or felt only darkness, you know. I remember uh, when St. Teresa of Calcutta, after her death, that her spiritual director published uh, letters and things, and, and, and how through much of her life, she struggled with the temptations of darkness, uh, feeling that was God really there for her, etc. That kind, those kind of things. Some people were very surprised by that, but if you look at the history of the saints uh, and their writings and such, it's not uncommon. Uh, you know, in the old in the Old Testament, even we read, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, about they hoped against hope. The great uh, figures of of the Old Testament, you know, it's not easy to believe sometimes, and it it there is a darkness, a dark night of the soul, uh, etc. And so I think uh, we just have to. I think the advice of the saints is that we remain constant and vigilant in our prayer, even if we don't feel like it, or no matter what our feelings might be like, we hold fast and we just ask for God's grace to see us through. And, and there is such a thing, I, I think, Archbishop, uh, putting yourself in near proximity of other people that you admire who do have a spiritual life that you admire that you could well imitate. Well, perhaps if there's such a person at hand, that would be helpful. Victoria from Northford said, Since I was a child, I was told that God knows all of us by name and knows everything about us. I also have heard that before God said, let there be light, we were already in his heart. Is that true? Well, Victoria, I, I, <laughs> those are mysteries of God that, uh, you know, I, uh, what can we say? Uh, yes, certainly God knows each of us personally from all eternity, uh, individually. Uh, that's, I think, certainly our understanding of, of God. Having always been in his heart from all eternity, well, I don't think that contradicts uh, the the kind of faith we have about God, but uh, how, how much more we can say about that, I don't know. Let me ask you a question, Archbishop, about um, what's going on currently in, in our society, because in Congress, some nominees to the federal court are being questioned about their membership in the Knights of Columbus, with senators wondering whether they can serve if they hold true to Catholic teachings against abortion, which is legal, and same-sex marriage, which recently became law in this country. Are we reaching the point where faithful Catholics will not be able to serve in U.S. government jobs? Well, if we're not careful, that could become a problem. Uh, there are already those who, who would like to disqualify anybody that opposes them on 
uh, abortion or uh, same sex or any other uh, moral issue, they would automatically want to abandon them from public life, uh, to, to, to uh, ban them. So we have to be very vigilant about that. Certainly it's contrary to the Constitution of the United States. But you know today people, they just they want to make their own laws uh, and their own, they don't care. Even though it's obviously uh, explicitly against the Constitution, they ask anyway. They probably do because they want their supporters to know that they are, uh, that they are doing this, even though they know that it shouldn't succeed. But I find it particularly uh, offensive, you know, that someone would ask a nominee for the judiciary whether he's a knight of Columbus, because of course the knights are well known for uh, pro-life uh, activities. I think the judge should say, yes, I am, just as uh, John Kennedy was a lifelong member of the Knights of Columbus. That ought to at least maybe shut some people up, but uh, because uh, the Knights of Columbus were opposed to abortion when John Kennedy was a member of the Knights, and uh, they're opposed to it now. Kristen from Canaan says, if the Big Bang Theory and evolution are accurate in how old the universe is, why did God take so long to create man? <laughs> I'm afraid you have to ask God that question. That's I a don't, good question I, <laughs> when you meet God face to face. You know, what does the psalm say? A thousand years in God's eyes are like yesterday, come and gone, no more than a watch in the night. Nathan from New Britain asks, my friend who is not Catholic does not understand why we pray for the poor souls. I explained about atonement and why we go to purgatory. What else can I say to him? Well, I think you might look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church on that section, and I think you will find some very nice uh, sayings there from some of the saints, perhaps, and a little fuller explanation that I think would be good. And that's probably a very helpful place to begin. Or you can look at the uh, United States uh, Catechism for Adults, uh, which would similarly have something. Rachel from Waterbury says, Archbishop, we've talked before about the Church's position on cremation. Many people are surprised to learn that the Church does not oppose it so long as the remains are treated respectfully and buried, not stored on a mantle somewhere or scattered to the wind. Here's a new trend people are talking about, returning the body to nature. It's a method that places the deceased's remains into the ground without precautions to prevent decay actually with the intention of having that person rapidly returned to the environment. Some even ask to be interred with the spores necessary to make mushrooms grow and speed the process. Is this ghoulish, or is it sort of a remember-you-are-dust-and-to-dust-you-shall-return approach, what we are reminded of each Ash Wednesday? Well, I don't think I'd want to eat those mushrooms, if truth be told. Uh, Yeah, it's composting, human beings. Well, you know, we, we ashes to ashes, dust to dust, to, and uh, and burial in the soil, for much of history has has happened. But I I think here the problem is that it isn't reverent respect for the for the remains. Uh, I, I you know I just to me if you look at civilization, almost every civilization has had great respect for the remains of the dead. I mean, the great pyramids of Egypt were built. Uh, to house the pharaoh's body uh, and embalming and all these kind of things. And, uh, you know, even other societies had great ritual respect for the remains of the dead. Mm. Sometimes it was in the form of cremation, sometimes in the form of burial in the ground. 
uh, or a mummification, whatever. But today, people are acting as if, uh, you know, that the remains are nothing. You know, sadly, uh, it wasn't too long ago that the Catholic Cemetery Association uh, volunteered without cost to bury hundreds of uh, abandoned uh, urns of ashes of deceased people that, that the family just didn't even bother, you know. You have to ask, where is the respect uh, for the remains of the dead? And... Um, I think that's, you know, that's a huge problem. You know, we believe in the resurrection of the body, this body that we have. Now, you know, you can say, well, what if you get eaten by a shark or whatever? And it, it, well, God can figure everything out. I, you know, we can be sure mm -hmm. of that. But the point is that, that people today act as if the, the body has no permanent uh, reality. And that's contrary to, to Christian teaching. Jesus rose from the dead in the body that was placed in the tomb. And when he rose from the dead, the body was no longer in the tomb. And uh, we, are, we believe that the same thing will happen to us. But so why would we treat the body with such uh, contempt as some people do? So I don't judge the motives of people in different burial practices over time, but Christianity and Judaism has always uh, had the reverent... In fact, I can't think of any religion or any great culture for that matter that hasn't had reverent uh, disposition of the remains of a dead person. Here's a question from Kate from Winstead, and Kate says, saying that Sunday is set aside for prayer, family, and rest, the Archdiocese of Detroit will no longer stage required sporting events on Sundays. Archbishop Alan Vigneron is emphasizing the importance of the Lord's Day in announcing that Catholic grade and high schools in the archdiocese will cease sports practices and games on the Sabbath. The new regulations take place in the next school year, and in upcoming months, the archdiocese will be letting families know about additional resources to be used to embrace the Lord's Day. And I think Kate wants you to comment on that, Archbishop. Well, Detroit is my home diocese, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, one of the things is that uh, the CYO leagues, uh, sports, are still pretty big uh, in the Midwest. When I was in Toledo, for example, as bishop, we had a similar situation where, you know, a lot of people are not going to church and don't care, even in Catholic sports. And uh, so in Toledo, we had a rule that there could be no CYO practices or any games or anything until a certain point on a Sunday afternoon, not ever in the morning during mass times and such. Uh, so Detroit is obviously uh, along the same lines and maybe even more so. When I came to Hartford, I found that uh, Catholic uh, youth organization CYO uh, sports are not at all uh, as big as what I encountered yeah. uh, in, in the Midwest. So I don't know that it applies in quite to, to quite the same degree here in, uh, in the archdiocese. But certainly I would want uh, Catholic schools uh, uh, to be very attentive uh, to uh, making sure that th there is no uh, disregard for the, the importance of, of, of Sunday for Mass and not trying to p place uh, alternatives in the path that would uh, make it uh, harder for people to go to Mass. I know what happens at St. Paul's High School in Bristol is that the coaches of, of various teams, even in practices on a Sunday, before the team will practice, they all gather at St. Gregory the Great Parish for Mass together yes. as a team. So that's, that's a nice practice. 
Yes, well, St. Paul's uh, is to be high school is to be very much commended for that. I know that they take that very seriously, mm-hmm. uh, indeed, and so uh, that's that's a very good thing. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord God, we adore you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we praise and thank you for all that you have given us, especially the gift of eternal life. We ask you to bless our society and our church to keep us ever more mindful of your presence in our life and the need we have uh, to worship you, to adore you, to love you, to praise you and thank you for all your blessings to us. And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week when we'll do another show and can be heard throughout the area at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning with a repeat at 11.30. And until that time, when we get back together again, we hope that you have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you.